Wonderful. Take a seat. um, I love how God works. And um, this morning we have Nat speaking. And I'm looking forward to that. Come on up, Nat. Um, Nat's the fourth person that I asked to preach on this topic this morning. Um, It's not because I thought you were fourth. It's, I think, because God thought you might have been the one to bring the word this morning. Um, And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, wonderful. It was actually on Car Park Church two weeks ago, um, and I was unsure who would speak um, on this topic this morning. And I only just shared with everyone during that morning that this is what we're going to be doing, this series of Love God with Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And um, afterwards, Gavin Nat um, cornered Greg and I and um, said, you the, the minute you said that that is what we're going to be speaking to, um, my heart just leapt. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, all right, bingo, I think we've got a preacher here, friends. And uh, moral of the story is, <laughs> be careful what you come and tell me God's saying to you, because you might be preaching. Um, and so, no, that's all. we're going to pray for you now. Is that all right before we get started? Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you that you have um, given gifts, Lord God, to be able to teach and to be able to encourage and to be able to lift up, Father. And thank you that you have given these to Nat, Lord God, to be able to articulate your word, Father, to be able to sense uh, the voice of Holy Spirit and what he is saying to the church. Father, we pray that um, you would use Nat's voice this morning. Uh, Father, that you would speak through her um, with great clarity, Lord God. Father, to the very thing that you want to say to our hearts this morning. Father, we know there's not just one message, but there are many. And Father, for each person this morning, Lord, I pray that we would receive the very word you have for us, um, as Nat brings it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nat. Thank you, Dave. You've um, taken part of my sermon, actually, because I was going to share about that moment, which I will get to, because it truly is. I'll just, you know what, I'm just going to go there now, because this topic, when you said that, honestly, I could not believe it, because God is speaking this. This is, this, this series that Dave began last week is a moment for now. I was going to introduce myself and get to know you a bit and all that, but I'm just going to go straight into it because <laughs> you took us there. It is such a word for now. And it's the culmination, what I'm bringing you today, of something that God's been, a deeper revelation that God's been bringing me over the past few months. But it's not just that. And this is why I nearly fell over when you were saying it, because he's speaking it to so many people. He is speaking it all over the globe. He is speaking this very word to his kingdom, to his church everywhere. And I will get into more of that later, but I just, I am so blown away that this is what we're doing. Um, So I am actually just going to dive straight in because everyone who knows me well knows that I can talk for a very long time. So I'm just going to take us straight into the deep end here. Um, I'm going to read from Mark 12, and then I'm just going to take us on a journey through the soul this week. So Mark 12, verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. So they're all, you know, um, talking, asking questions, trying to catch Jesus out, all that. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Imagine they're saying that to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you got, good, good one, good, nice one. Yeah, you got that right. Tick, you can get an A. And um, you have truly said that he is one. There is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, Dave set us up beautifully last week. I know it was the middle of the school holidays and a long weekend and there was, you know, it was a bit quiet, but Gavin and I were saying, and I'm no joke, on this, after the service, we were saying that it has got to be the best sermon we've ever heard you preach, ever. So if you were away last week, you need to watch the replay if you haven't already. It was so good. Um, he gave us, Dave gave us the context of this, this scripture that we're working through over these couple of weeks, um, you know, aimed at Jesus. They tried to get him. They tried to trick him with everything. They're trying to catch him up all the time. They're always looking for holes. They're always looking for something. But, you know, he got it right. Tick. <laughs> and so Dave was sharing also about the heart. Okay, we were talking about loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, next week with all our mind, with, after that with all of our strength. Um, and Dave brought us back to, because if this does sound familiar, these verses, it's back in Deuteronomy 6. He brought us back to that and spoke to us about the Shema. This is called in Jewish culture, this whole commandment to love the Lord your God with everything that you are is called the Shema. So go back and watch that or listen to that if you haven't already. I actually want to do it again. I meant to this week, but I'm, I'm totally going to listen to it again. So today we're talking about the soul. Okay, how do we love God with all of our soul? If we're commanded to do it, it's probably a good idea to find out what it is and what it is exactly. Now, in the Hebrew, the soul is called the nephesh. Um, and more particularly, it's called the nephesh chaya, which means living soul. And the first we hear of the nephesh is in Genesis 2-7. Okay, this is where God breathed his nephesh, his breath of life, into Adam's nostrils. Now, our soul is what sets us apart as human beings from every other living thing. Like, God didn't breathe his nephesh into animals. He didn't breathe it into the fish or the birds or not even the plants or the trees or anything like that. He only breathed it into mankind. This is what sets us apart. So, biblically speaking, our soul is our very essence of life. It is our consciousness, it's our creativity, our personality, our spirit, our very life itself. It is what makes us uniquely us and it is who we are. No wonder God said that this is the greatest commandment, okay? To, because to love God with all of our nephesh 
is to devote our entire whole existence to our creator God. That's pretty up there. That's pretty big. So it poses the question, at least in my mind, to me, I'm like, am I loving God with my whole soul? Really, am I with all my soul? With all my entire life essence, am I? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel way off, like way off. I feel like I can't even sort out my life essence, let alone worship God in the fullness of that. So how can I love God with all my soul when my soul itself is struggling? Dave mentioned earlier, and he spoke about this last week as well, that the Greek meaning of that word all, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, um, is holos, like you were saying before, okay? And it means whole, amazingly. Um, And this is where I really want to take today, because this is where I feel God speaking and breathing on this scripture for this time in his kingdom today. I want to take this whole idea, this concept and go for that. So I just want to carry on from that platform that Dave built and I want to take us today on a journey um, through one of probably the greatest revelations God has given me about actually the greatest revelation about the whole. Okay? Um, so yeah, two weeks ago, Dave, when you were announced the new series, this, this is why I just, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it because over the past few months, and I'm going to talk um, a bit about probably the past six months, I would say, This is exactly what God has got me in, uh, about being whole, to be able to love him in the fullness, the way that this scripture commands us, okay? It's a command, it's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if you feel like it, hey, if you've got a bit of time. It's like, this is Jesus telling us, this is the greatest commandment. It is a command that we are to obey. So I wanna be whole so that I can love him in, in the wholeness that he has created me to be. So over the past few months, I've just been on this journey of revelation into this entire concept of wholeness. And you know when God speaks something to you and like just in case you didn't get it, he like repeats it and repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. I swear every time I turn anywhere, it's like he's speaking the same thing to me. It's like suddenly, you know, every sermon you hear or every podcast you listen to or every book you read or every conversation you have with someone, it's the same theme going on. So yeah, when you said it two weeks ago, it's like my whole six months was just coming to a a close there. And I was like, I am so glad that this is what we are speaking on. I was so excited when I found out that this is the theme because, yeah, not only is it so, you know, we can personally learn to walk and love God with our our whole souls, but God is highlighting this exact verse and concept of being whole throughout the whole church, throughout the kingdom. Um, I have been, I have had the most amazing conversations with some of my friends who are like literally on the other side of the world, right, all over the globe. I'm really talking about this. My friend two weeks ago, she just finished in North Carolina a um, women's conference and the entire theme of the conference was this. It's like God is on this. God's word is eternal. It is for every generation, every season, every moment, every minute, every day. But I tell you what, this is a now word. 
This is what God is speaking throughout his church, his capital C church, right now. So I feel like what I'm sharing with you today is the culmination of this journey of revelation that I have been on over the last few months. So I have had to actually cut and slash and cull so much of this. I do hope I give it justice, um, but I really am going to go through this quite quickly to try and sum up just, you know, a whole six months worth of stuff that's gone on in here and here, amazingly. So it all began for me one day back in May. I can remember that exactly. It was May. And God said to me, I'm going to restore your soul. And I was like, didn't, didn't know I had a problem. <laughs> didn't know I needed my, I thought my soul, I thought it was like, thought it was all right. We've got something going on here. And I will not go into the details of it because it is a testimony and a journey in and of itself. But my goodness, he made it incredibly clear to me that no, my soul was not whole right then. He brought up so much stuff from my heart, from my mind, from my past, from my childhood, from all these things, which that's a whole sermon in itself. And he just, you know, really got me to realise that, okay, maybe I do need a little bit of restoring. (laughs) Maybe I need like a whole lot of restoring here. And he said to me, let's deal with those things that are stopping you from being truly whole. Because I want you to love me with your whole soul. Of course, I straight away turned to what I can think of, the first thing off my mind, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful waters. He restores my soul. I was like, yeah, that's good. Thank you. I feel like I need a bit of stillness and quietness. I've got five kids going around the house and a whole lot of life going on. That'll be just fine. I'm so ready for that. I'm ready for that tranquility. I'm ready for that stillness and quietness and peacefulness. I mean, that's what we think of, isn't it? When you close your eyes and think of Psalm 23 and we read that verse, it's like it's peace. It's just peacefulness. I'm up for that. But in order to restore my soul, he didn't, unfortunately, take me off to some remote paradise island where I could, that's my idea of restoring my soul. Instead, he, instead he took me deeper and deeper into this revelation of the word peace. Now, before this, I really thought I knew what peace was. I've studied it a lot. I know, you know, I felt like, yep, got it. But who knows that God like always takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, I, I think we could all probably, everyone in here, there's probably at least one Hebrew word that we know, which is peace. Can anyone tell me? Shalom. 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 Now, this is amazing because, um, well, actually, I'll get into that in a second. But the Hebrew, the actual, yeah, the English translation is peace, but that's, it's, it's so not peace. It's so not our idea of peace. The Hebrew translation is so much more extensive. The Hebrew meaning of shalom means whole, whole, completeness, wholeness in every part of your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, complete wholeness in every area of your, like your marriage, your family, your home, your friendships and relationships, your health, your work, your business, your finances. 
Every part of you, every part of your life, that is what shalom in the Hebrew is talking about, wholeness. You are whole in every part of you. There is not one thing, not one part that is left undone. So when they go into a house and speak shalom, it's not just peace, okay? It's that blessing, that absolute blessing of wholeness over every part of your life and your family and everything. Now, it gets even better, even better than this, because the Hebrew language is made up of pictographic symbols. And if we take the word shalom and we divide it into its symbols, we get this, shin, lamed, vav, Mem. Now, I was planning on, on having this up on the screen, but I just didn't have the Hebrew keyboard and all this. But guess what? This is also God, right? Our friends turn up this morning, and sorry, Kev. <laughs> and Kevin is wearing shalom on his shirt. So if you want the pictographic symbols, go say hi to Kev after the service. That is what it is. You can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> so these words, these symbols, when we take them individually and we interpret them collectively as one word, this is the definition of shalom. Destroy the authority that binds to chaos. I like that. I'm going to do some shaloming in my house because there's a lot of chaos. <laughs> there's a lot going on there, and I want that authority destroyed. Destroy the authority that binds to chaos. And even better, the noun shalom is derived from the verbal root shalam, which means to restore. How, how crazy fun is God when he takes us on these journeys? All of this, restore. Restore in the sense of replacing or providing what is needed in order to make someone or something whole or complete. Therefore, shalom is used to describe those of us who have been provided all that is needed to be whole and complete and to break off the authority that would bind us to chaos. How? Jesus. When? On the cross. Do you want another nugget of Hebrew gold? It just gets better and better. Turn to Isaiah 53. Now, we all know this chapter, right? I'm going to read verse 5, just, just verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Here is that word peace again. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. Upon him was the punishment that brought us wholeness. But get this, it just like keeps going more and more. The Hebrew word for healed is rafa. And this doesn't just mean healing, like the way we think of it in English, it's not just healing. Guess what rafa really means? Whole. Whole. I'm like blown away by this. He paid for our complete wholeness. By his wounds, we are whole. His brokenness purchased our wholeness. He restores our soul. 
This brings communion in my mind to a whole nother level when I start thinking about it like this, okay? Because he wants us to remember every time we do communion, it's about remembering the cross. It's about remembering what he does for us, what, he's, what he has done for us. It's about remembering that we are whole. We are whole. And can I tell you how we do communion in our house? Gav will get this like loaf of bread and he will rip it in the middle with his hands. He's not dainty or delicate about it at all. It's like just ripped in half, okay? That bread is broken. That bread is absolutely broken. And it's such a reminder of how Jesus' body was broken for me. And here's the thing. I am the one who is ultimately broken in and of myself without him, completely broken. He is the perfect one who is completely whole, yet he offered himself as a sacrifice for me and took my brokenness onto himself by being broken so that I can be whole. His blood poured out, dripped from his wounds, from his lashes, from his stripes, from his open, broken flesh and poured out over my brokenness. My brokenness is drenched in the blood of Jesus Christ so that I can be whole. This is the beautiful exchange. He takes my broken soul, he allows himself to be broken for me and he exchanges his perfection his holiness, his righteousness, his wholeness for everything in my life, in my heart, my mind, my body, my soul that is fragmented, fractured, damaged, maimed, defeated, you name it. By his wounds, we are whole. So he continues with me over these six months, day by day. Everything, whether I'm opening my Bible in the morning, whether I'm having a conversation with someone, whatever it is, it keeps coming back to this idea of peace and this idea of wholeness. So, so far we've summarized, we're commanded to love him with our whole soul. He restores our soul by leading us into peace. Peace is the complete wholeness. He paid the price for our wholeness and by his brokenness we are made whole. But get this. Let's just move forward into the New Testament for a minute. What is Jesus called the Prince of? The Prince of Peace. This isn't just the act of peace between us and God, which it, like it is that. It is absolutely the reconciliation, the redemption, the restoration of our, you know, our severed relationship with God. But Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he has dominion and royal authority over our wholeness. Because on the cross, he destroyed the very authority that binds our souls to chaos. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and the word tells us that Satan is the Prince of the Air. He has authority over the spiritual atmosphere here on earth, but if we are God's children, we aren't under his authority, Satan's authority, Um, or his dominion, because we're living in the king's domain, in the kingdom. This is how we can be in the world, but not 
of the world. We're not under that spiritual authority of the world, of the prince of the air any longer. But who knows that we still have a battle. (laughs) That authority, you know, that is going on around us, around us, it's still trying to, that chaos is still trying to get to our soul. It's still trying to bind us back to it. It's why we're called to spiritual warfare. Now, again, when we think of spiritual warfare, the first thing that I, the first chapter I think of is immediately Ephesians 6. So one day, without realizing, I'm just sitting there reading through Ephesians. I'm going to start at the beginning, uh, but I'm going to go down to, down to a bit down further. So starting from verse 11, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, I could go on with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, but I I, I had to stop there in my own journey. The gospel of peace. Now, I've heard this a thousand times before, but because of this, this, you know, revelation that God was walking me through with peace, I'm like, huh, gospel of peace. Let's look into that. What is the gospel? It's the good news. And what do we know of peace? Wholeness. It's the gospel of wholeness. The new covenant is a covenant of wholeness. Interestingly enough, Isaiah 54, which comes straight after Isaiah 53, which we've just read, is called the eternal covenant of peace. This is Old Testament we're talking about. Hundreds of years before, God has made a way for our souls to be whole because he has destroyed the authority of the air. He nailed it to the cross. He rose victoriously. He defeated every enemy against us, against our souls. We are the completeness and wholeness of Christ. Colossians 2.10, that is good news. That is the gospel of peace. That is good news. Let's go back to um, Ephesians 6 because I kept thinking, I was like, you know, I've, I've, done, I've done the armour, like, I know all this stuff, I've been knowing this since I was a little kid growing up in Sunday school. I was like, why shoes? Why feet? I knew it's like, you know when God's got this revelation for you and you're like, you know it's there but you just can't grasp it and you're like, okay, come on, like, let's keep pushing in to find this. I used to think it was because we, you know, we take the gospel to people, which it is. It's absolutely, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's absolutely that. But I was really pressing in and going, come, like, give me more. I know there's something in here. I know there's some gold in here. Why do we need to be fully equipped by wearing the shoes, the readiness, of the gospel of peace on our feet because we've got to walk out our wholeness. I don't know about you, but the minute I was saved, 
I didn't wake up the next morning completely set free and whole and amazing and my life was just perfect and, you know, I had all the wisdom of heaven and I was just amazingly spiritually mature. It didn't happen for me. I was saved. Salvation is the end of our old life, but it is just the beginning of our new one. It's just like, you know, we are saved, but we're walking, Paul says, we're walking out our salvation. We are holy, but we are being made holy. We are righteous, but we are becoming more righteous. We are pure, but we undergo continual purification. We are whole, but we are walking into the fullness of our wholeness. We are consecrated and set apart for a holy cause. And we begin this process of sanctification as we put to death the flesh and the old self-life. As we do this day by day, choice by choice, thought by thought sometimes, as we become mature, as we learn to overcome, as we grow in victory. The gospel of peace is the good news that by the cross, we are whole. But the readiness and the shoes we need to wear are for walking out our wholeness. Now, in the context of Ephesians 6, the shoes of the gospel of peace are, they're actually a weapon of, for warfare. That's what we use to fight with. He's telling us to put this stuff on. He's telling us to be equipped with it. It's a weapon. It's a weapon that we're to use. Here's the thing about being whole. If we don't have all our armour on, we can be bombarded by the authority of the spiritual atmosphere around us that is trying, it is trying to take back dominion over us and by binding us to that very chaos that we have already been set free from on the cross. The shoes of readiness, of the gospel of wholeness, is a weapon against the enemy's authority. It keeps trying to bind our soul back to the chaos that we've already been set free of. How? Because the enemy is constantly trying to target our wholeness. You're not whole. You're not holy. You're not the righteousness of God through Christ. Look at you. You're not pure. Look at your heart. Look at the things you do and say. Look at your thoughts. You're not this. You're not that. It's the little whispers. It's the little foxes. Sometimes it's the big roar. Why would he want to do that? Because our identity is found in wholeness. We're not fractured. We're not fragmented. We're not broken. We're not wounded. We're not offended. We're not victims. We're not traumatized. When we know that we are whole, the lies of the prince of the air cannot affect us. We have all our armor on. He can't bowl us over. That's how we stand, and then some, like Ephesians 6 tells us to, because our identity, our very soul of who we are, our identity is in Christ, and it is whole. 
When our identity is wholeness, our feet are fitted with the readiness, the willingness, the obedience of the good news of wholeness. And these boots that we are to wear are to keep on walking through the warfare, through the hard days, through the tough seasons, through the lies and the whispers of him, through the discouragement, through the disappointment, through the sickness and ill health, through the fear and anxiety, through the culture of the world around us that is trying constantly to bombard us, through all of life, we are to keep on walking. You know what I love so much about these, these verses that we have in, in Mark 12 and Deuteronomy 6? Not only did God command us to love him with our whole soul, but he made the way for us to do it. Not only did Jesus tell us that loving God with our whole soul was the greatest act of obedience he wants from us, but he then became the very means by which we can. Here's the thing, God never commands us to do anything without first empowering us to do it by his grace, by his spirit, by his strength, even to love him. You know, we can't even love God by ourselves. We can only love because he first loved us. We can't even do that without him enabling us, empowering us to do that. And you know, as I was preparing this week, I realized, and I've never thought of this before, in Mark 12, when Jesus was having this conversation with the Pharisees and the scribe and everyone there and his disciples, everyone who he was talking to, they were still living under the Jewish requirements of sacrifice. When Jesus said this to them, he hadn't, see, we read it knowing, you know, the end of the story in mind. We read this knowing that God's already gone to the cross, Jesus has already gone to the cross, he's already done all that. But as he's speaking to them, he hadn't yet gone to the cross. They were still following the Mosaic law. Yet, he knew as he was answering them this, with this question, he knew that he was the fulfillment of this very command to love God with their whole selves. As he was speaking to broken people, still serving a covenant that required a broken, like, like a lesser sacrifice, he knew the ultimate sacrifice was coming. He knew that the covenant of grace was about to be initiated. He knew the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out upon some of these very people. He knew that their days of trying and striving and strict rules and religious regulations were coming to an end and they were about to be empowered to fulfill the very commands that they had been trying to live by in their own strength for the past hundreds of years. He knew that he was about to ultimately restore their souls to a true place of peace, of wholeness. This is what these verses are all about. This is why he wants our souls restored so that we can love him with our whole soul. He wants our love. 
He wants our worship. He wants our praise. He doesn't want our sacrifice, our offering. He wants our heart. He wants our soul. He wants our love. So he restores our soul. Back to Psalm 23. You lead me beside peaceful waters and you restore my soul. You lead me into true wholeness by destroying the authority that binds my soul and life and entire essence to chaos so that I can rest in your completed work on the cross by which you have already declared that I am whole. He restores my soul. He restores my heart. He restores my mind. He restores my strength. He restores my life. He restores my family. He restores my marriage. He restores my motherhood. He restores my home, my children. He restores my woundedness, my health, my body. He restores my path, leading me on his ways of righteousness, in his paths of holiness, to my destiny of heaven, to my calling of building his kingdom, to my assignment and mission and commission to take this very gospel of wholeness to the ends of the earth, all for his kingdom, his honor, his glory, and his name. Let me speak prophetically for a moment because this is our season of restoration. It's always a season of restoration. The whole Bible is for all the time. But right now, it has been spoken about so much throughout the kingdom for months now. I would even dare to say a year or more. Okay, it's a season of, of restoring, of restoration. Now, two weeks ago, we, ha- we entered the Hebraic year 5387. And this is an appointed time. I am telling you. I, I don't have time now, but talk to me afterwards over coffee. I can give you testimony after testimony, not just from myself and my own life, but from every single person I am hearing from and talking to, things that people have been praying for for years, some even decades or more, like that overnight are just taking place. It's a season of restoration. Things promised long ago, things prophesied years and years and years before, things prayed for, things we as God's people have been persistently asking, seeking, knocking, they are starting to, they are starting to sprout forth. They are starting to come into fruition in this season, this day. God is restoring what has been lost, what has been stolen, what has been given up, what has been delayed, what has been left behind, what has been, what we've just handed over in defeat. Not just these past few months, not even just the past few years, but I'm talking lifetimes, decades, generations even. He is restoring our souls. He's restoring our souls' weariness, our hopelessness, our woundedness, our exhaustion, our soul's brokenness, and he is making it completely whole. This is a season of restoration. It's a season of recompense. 
It's a season of restitution, of regeneration, of revival, because he is reviving you. He is restoring your soul, reviving your love for him again so that we can give it all to him. That's what we're called for. Do you perceive the times that we are in? Does your spirit perceive it? Isaiah 43, listen carefully, I'm about to do a new thing. Will it spring forth? Will you not be aware of it? Song of Songs 2.10, for now is the time, my beautiful one, my bride, my church. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended and the season of hiding is over. Can you not discern this new day of destiny? breaking forth around you. The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Do you not discern this new day, this new year, this new era? Now I had to cut out a whole but I had like, I could do a whole nother sermon on the second part of this command where it says love others as we love ourselves. Okay, but um, I can't go into it now, but really what I wanted to say in a nutshell was we can't love others as ourselves if our, if our identity isn't founded in wholeness. Okay, because when I'm not whole, I don't really love myself that much. And if I were to love you like that, it would not be okay. I would never treat you the way I treat myself when I'm not feeling whole, when my identity is not in God, in Christ, in all of that. So that really is a whole other topic for another day. But I wanted to touch on it because, um, you know, these verses that we're talking about, they link, like Dave started talking about the harvest last week. Okay, you've got to listen to that sermon, trust me. You've got to listen to it. The harvest is at hand. This is all about the harvest. The time we are in, it's now. Song of songs, do you not discern this season, this change, the moment we are in? John 4, look around, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. Revival is here. Revival has begun. And I just want to talk about the word revival because I feel like we can get really familiar with it, okay? Revival is not just some catchy word that we speak about. It's not something we read of in church history when we go through all the revivals that have taken place. It's not about filling seats and auditoriums. It's not something that comes in waves because it feels like, you know, revival, oh, back to where we were. Revival, back. It's not that. It's not supposed to be that. Revival is God restoring our souls, reviving our souls, reviving our love for him, because somewhere along the way, we got a little bit lukewarm. And lukewarmness is one of the greatest problems, the greatest thing that could come against the kingdom. Lukewarmness does nothing. Lukewarmness just keeps seats warm on a Sunday morning. That is not the kingdom of God. Revival begins, whether we want it to or not, when we start loving God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength, true revival causes us to repent of anything that is coming in between us 
and God's holiness that stifles or stops or lessens our love for him in any way. Revival is extended through loving others as we love ourselves in our identity of wholeness. Revival is sustained, okay, because it should actually never end. That just should be what it is. Our life should be revival. It's sustained through our hearts and souls and our minds and our spirits set on fire, burning passionately, fervently, zealously in love for God. Revival doesn't begin out there on the streets, in the cities or even in the nations. Revival begins in here. His burning ones. This is a time for his burning ones. It's when it begins when we are burning for him, in love with him. It doesn't begin in a church service or a big conference or some tent meeting. It begins in our homes. It begins in our marriages. It begins in our families. It begins in our fellowship with one another. It begins in just our everyday life when we're, I don't know, for me, cooking dinner, putting laundry on the line, having coming together as a family for dinner time, over the table, over food. And stoked kindles as we keep feeding that hunger in our hearts for God that nothing else can fill that. As we get more and more burning and a light for him, it turns into the wildfire. We can't create revival. It's not something that we can do in our own strength. It's not something we can go, right, we're going to have a big church service and we're just going to do this. It's like revival comes out of hunger for Jesus, for our love for God. And all of this is taking place, I'm telling you, in the kingdom right now. Revival is taking place all over the world right now, all over the God, even in the very shy. I could tell you, and I will later if you ask me, testimony of what's going on in the kids in the Shire. It's happening here. Like when you say that there's more out there than there are here, this is the fulfillment. This is the fulfillment of so many things spoken. It has begun, whether we feel it or not. It can go on without us if we don't catch the fire and run with it. It is here. It's not coming. It's here. It's here. It's just how much do we want to be part of that? This is what loving the Lord our God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind and our whole strength is all about. Because God needs us whole. He has a harvest at hand and he can't be bringing revival into a broken bride or an exhausted bride, burnt out on religious duty, a fragmented bride, a wounded bride. He wants us healed, healthy, whole in every single area of our life so that we can love others into the kingdom, into, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, down at the local coffee shop, down at the beach. This entire wholeness journey, it's actually not even about us. We get to benefit from it. It's fantastic. But guess what? It's about his kingdom. It's about him taking dominion as the prince of peace over the prince of the air as he destroys the authority that binds this world 
to chaos. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is here. Revival is here. He's reviving us first. He is restoring our souls. He is setting us on fire in love with him, consecrating our lives and preparing us for the greatest harvest that this kingdom has ever seen. Let's pray. Jesus, set us on fire. (laughs) Jesus, please, we hunger for you. We hunger for you. We want you. We want to be part of this, God. We want to be in your kingdom, God. We don't want any of this to pass us by, God. Set our hearts on fire, burning for you, Jesus. Restore our souls. Restore the parts of our souls, Lord, that are broken, that are weary, that are fractured, that are in pain, God. Restore us like only you can do, Lord. God, we place our lives, our families, our children, everything on the altar. Let your fire fall upon it now, Lord. Let your fire fall upon this offering, upon this sacrifice, Lord, that we may glorify you, God, because you make us whole to be able to love you with our whole soul. Lord, I just ask that you would, Holy Spirit, now come. Come and speak to each and every one of us right now in this quietness and in this stillness, God. The areas of our life that you want whole. The areas of our soul that you want us to give to you so that you can restore us back to the fullness that you have already paid for us on the cross, Jesus. Restore our homes, restore our marriages, restore broken relationships, restore our love for you, God. Rekindle that that fire and, and let those flames just burn again and again and brighter and harder for you, God, that we may be a people set on fire, that you may take us and use us for your glory and your kingdom in these times, Lord. And I want to pray over our kids just quickly, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that your revival would begin in them, in their hearts, in their souls, in their minds, that they would see and witness their parents loving you with all that they are. And we know, God, that that just overflows from us. Loving you helps us to love others, God, as it overflows with your love onto them. And they overflow onto everyone around them. And we all overflow onto one another, God. Give us more about your love, God, so that we can love you with our whole soul. In Jesus' name, amen.